Never let go. Kathy and I are so grateful for those promises, how he will never leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from him. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. And to know that he is very interested in our lives, in our ministries, and especially in building his church and extending his kingdom in this day and age, which desperately needs his intervention in society. As I shared in the Sunday School Hour, God is doing some exciting things in Italy. But I'd like to also share from the Word of God the way that he is always interested in opening doors of opportunity. How he wants to sensitize us to opportunities, to people that need his story of redemption and his desire to reach into their lives and transform their lives into a vessel which is honor and glorifying to him. Open doors of opportunity. Living and serving from God's perspective. The verses that were mentioned in our audiovisual presentation First were the verses that Paul uh, wrote to the Corinthians. Paul was enthralled in what God was doing at Ephesus. He wanted to get to the Corinthians, but he also wanted to take advantage of what God was doing. In 1 Corinthians 16, in verse 8, he says, I'm going to tarry at Ephesus uh, until Pentecost. But there's been a great and effective door that's been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. I want to sh- share how a number of things along this theme of the open doors of opportunity. Here, Paul said, I, I, if the Lord permits, I'm, I want to stay here at Ephesus and then come to you. But he realizes God's part in this, and it's his will that the gospel gets to every creature, but also the timing and everything else. He recognizes God's direction of his path. And he's also very much aware that opportunities are abounding, but there's that strange mixture of opportunities together with suffering or adversaries. He's very much aware of how he was very much engaged in reaching out to reach to the various nations where God was drawing him and directing his steps. He was also aware of the persecution against the church and Stephen who had been martyred, and then James that had been martyred, and how the church was suffering, and yet it was moving ahead for God's honor and glory. Then we switch a moment to Revelation, and where John is inspired to tell the words of Jesus to the church of Philadelphia. And there he talks about the God who has the key of David. And it is he, in Revelation 3, 7, who 
opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. And because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. This passage here, the awareness of God opening and shutting doors, God who operates even in the most resistant heart, the one who's called a synagogue of Satan, and to cause even those kind of people to bow before him and to worship an extraordinary God that is dynamic and can change people's destinies. He is also that same God who will deliver from the hour of trial, as he points out. Those are just introductory remarks as far as God's opening doors and an awareness of that in our lives. My main purpose during this message is to take from the book of Acts kind of a panoramic uh, approach to the idea of how God worked through the Apostle Paul, giving him examples and of opportunity, giving him those, showing him those open doors that God had and how he took advantage of those open doors and to build the body of Christ. But then to give you some examples of things that he has done in Italy along those lines as well, and then hopefully challenge you in bringing these to your attention, that it would sensitize you to the way that God wants to open doors in the lives of every one of us here today. And if each and every one of us were taking advantage of the open doors that God has put before us, there is no limit to what God could do to build his church and to reach out and transform other lives. And many times we're too comfortable just remaining passive and going through life day by day and not really recognizing what he wants to do through each one of us in reaching out to touch other people's lives. Second Corinthians 11, Paul was such a dynamic person for the Lord, and yet you would think that being that way, God would have just opened all those doors and he would have had all this liberty to be in pulpits and and to uh, preach to the great big crowds of people and to be used dynamically of the Lord. And yet, as you read what he writes to the various churches, you realize that the context of a lot of what Paul accomplished in his life was the total opposite of what I just described. In 2 Corinthians 11, he's in a context of trying to combat false teachers. And that many times he he was being compared to them. And yet he has to come to his own defense. And he said, these people that claim to be followers of Christ, what do they know? about the true life of those who follow Christ. 
And he goes into a whole list of things that had taken place in his life. He said, it might seem that I'm speaking as a fool. But he says, I am more a minister of Christ in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure in prison, more frequently in, and in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night I was in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, and in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, perils of false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, and in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides all the other things that comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Can you sense the context in which Paul took advantage of open doors? Is this what kind of we imagine is the, what living for Jesus is all about? I don't think so. And I don't think if I ask you, how many of you enjoy suffering? Would you raise your hand, please? And if we're gutly honest, we don't raise our hand. Because it's human nature to want to avoid suffering. And yet, it was in this context that Paul knew that he had to have a right attitude towards suffering. He had to spiritually grow through the trials that God would permit in his life. And he had a godly concern for those around him as he was going through those moments of suffering. I am amazed. We all like to think of what a spiritual giant the Apostle Paul was. But as we see the way that he had to go about his ministry, he didn't have all the technology that we have today, all the conveniences that we have. And yet the man was tremendously used by God. And it was in the context of suffering that doors of opportunity were open to him. Kathy and I realized that in a very real way as we came down with COVID. And as we, from four different hospitals, ended up in the same hospital, and not only that, in the same room, and we realized God wanted to make that room a very holy place. And he wanted to use even the context of going through the agony of COVID because there were people that he was going to send to that room that needed to hear the gospel. I jokingly say, as the astronauts came into our room, the way they were dressed gave that appearance. As they came in, we realized behind all the garb, there were needy people there that would not have any other opportunity maybe to hear the gospel. And as we were there fighting to get our breath, and yet God enabled a witness to go there and to be able to share with them at times to give our testimony or to pray with them and to challenge them or to invite them to come to our church and later to take gospel calendars there to give to them. We realize maybe God is going to give us, we hope, 
at least one person that will come to know him. I keep hoping that one day somebody will walk into a church service and say, hey, do you remember me? And I'm going to say, no. And they're going to say, "That's yeah, I know, because you couldn't see my face. But that maybe God will have spoken to someone and to give them that, des- that desire to know God and to come to him. And that is our prayer. Another place that Paul found a door of opportunity was down by the riverside. In Acts 16, Paul was a man who had important priorities built into his life. And one of those was to regularly meet up with believers to share, to pray, and praise God. And at this point, he asked where people were gathered and found out that there were some people there by the river. And on the Sabbath day, he goes there to meet together with prayer where it was customarily made. And they sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. And she and her household heard and believed and were baptized. A wonderful evidence of how God used Paul just going to that riverside. There were people there that were appointed to hear the gospel that day. And he shared and evangelized and edified that group of people. And through that ministry, Lydia came to know the Lord. And she, her life was transformed. She was immediately baptized by immersion into the body of Christ. And from there, it's exciting, but that was probably the beginning of the Philippian church. And as we have seen a number of ways that God took one person and two and three and then churches were born, God has a marvelous way of multiplying our efforts. And a lot of times we have no clue how something that we have done for the Lord could bring fruit and honor to his glory. I think of my Sunday school teacher back when I was 12 years old who, when she led me to the Lord, had no clue that she was leading a future missionary to Italy and someone that the Lord would be able to use to bring others to his his kingdom. And I I just think, how about you? People that God wants to impact, have you had that opportunity yet to lead someone to the Lord? Are you active as a witness for Jesus Christ? Are you letting God use you to reach out to people Are you aware of those that live next door to you? Are you making an effort to to reach out to them? This is what our lives and our ministry is supposed to be about, not just your missionaries over in Italy. Each and every one of us is to be reaching out. And Paul did that. I think of Adivane, who is an unwed mother who came to us. She claimed to know to be a Christian. She was reached out to by uh, uh, our Arabic son. I, we call him our adopted son. I led him to the Lord. and He was Muslim, and his wife is a Christian, and she works in a, a center for abused mothers and children, and she invited Adivana, and she came to our service. But after a long time, it just seemed like she was stagnant. 
She was not always dressed modestly. And uh, there's just something that didn't jive. So Kathy and I dedicated time to go visit her and spent actually three hours in hearing her story of her life and how she had been refused. Her father was of color, and when she was born, her grandmother never did did accept her, and she always felt rejected, and as a result, her, her life was always tossed about, and there was never stability, and often she looked out for love wherever she could find it, One day she heard singing coming from a church and she was drawn into that church service and she liked it because of the joy that she sensed and the singing was likable. And one day she walked the aisle and shook the preacher's hand. But as she um, shared that story, I I said, was there ever a time that you really understood why Jesus died on the cross and that you really understood received him as your savior and i explained the plan of salvation with her it took about 45 minutes to go through it very detailed wise to make sure she really understood and when i got to the end of that she says i've never done that she shook a hand but shaking hand does not redeem a soul and as we shared that it was so beautiful how god opened her heart and she prayed and Adivana has been a new person since then. Adivana really has a desire that her little five-year-old can really know the Lord. And she has a desire to live for him. Her dress has changed. Her perspective has changed. And it's so exciting. But God wants to reach out to those people that are in our lives. Paul also was taken to prison. You will recall in Acts 16 how he was castigated for having liberated a girl possessed with a spirit of divination and how he was able to share the gospel. And this fortune-telling girl was no longer able to bring fortune to her masters. And so they took Paul and Silas in verse 19 and dragged them before the magistrates, the authorities. And they are there accusing him that they're teaching uh, things that are not lawful. They're exceedingly troublesome for our, our city. And the multitudes rose up against them and they tore off their clothes and commanded that they be beaten with rods. Verse 23, And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding that the jailer uh, keep them in, uh, securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And then verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas are there complaining and griping to God because of the way they've been treated. Correct? No, not at all. The impressive way that they are praying and singing to God hymns and the other prisoners are listening to them. Fantastic. How about you and me? In our suffering, what do people hear from our mouths? What do they see from our behavior? Do they see people that are glorifying God even in suffering? Or do they see gripers and complainers? Do they see people that are really bent out of shape? 
embittered. It's our opportunity for people to see if we have a genuine faith and lifestyle. At that point, you think, oh, great, wonderful service. And then everything comes crashing down. An earthquake of all things. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open. There's a little irony here. Irony. Open doors. Open doors of opportunity. Paul got it. Earthquake, beatings, stocks, prison, inner security, and now an earthquake. Opportunities. In what way? Paul calls out to the guy. Because supposing that the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Your gut feeling, if you were in Paul's shoes and you saw the one who was tormenting you and persecuting you, and you see him ready to commit suicide, would you say, ha, 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 serves him right. No. If you have the love of God in your heart, even our enemies, we are to love and be concerned about. And Paul says, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. You know that he wanted to avoid being tortured and killed himself by the Romans because if he let his prisoners go, it would be his life for theirs. And as Paul tells him not, not to hurt himself, do you see the genuine Christian love that he is demonstrating? It's beautiful. It's eloquent. Even in the context of deep suffering for the Lord. And the man comes out and calls for a light, and he felt down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? With that question that he asked the, Paul and, and Silas, I get the impression that he was also among the listeners when Paul and Silas were praying and singing. And with that question, that is the most important question that any one of us can ask in life. What must I, be to, must I do to be saved? I don't know about each one of you here. Has there been that point in life that you have asked Jesus what you must do to be saved? And respond to his conditions and not your own man-made conditions. This is so beautiful. And Paul says, oh, you've been such a dirty, rotten person. Do you realize how much wrong you've done to me? And he tries to balance out the accounts. Is that what Paul's doing? 
No, he's jolly on the spot, ready to share. Hey, guy, it's really easy. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Nothing too complicated about that. But to be saved, we have to turn from ourselves, our own acts of religiosity, and to come to him on his terms. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in his house. And he took in that same hour in the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he fell. And all his family were baptized. Immediately he and all his, I'm sorry, I inserted a word there. I, I read wrong here. He and his, all of his family were baptized. They brought them into the house and they fed them and rejoiced having believed in God with all of his household. The beauty of those moments of personal evangelism. Have you ever had that, Julie? Have you ever saw someone in despair like the jailer who was ready to commit suicide? One day, Kathy and I were on our way to Venice where we met with the Filipinos each Sunday afternoon. Many of them clean rooms in the hotels. And Sunday afternoon is after they're done working. And that was the great time for them to have their services. It permitted Kathy and I to be involved in the Italian service in the morning and then go to them in the afternoon. And as we were riding a bus, at the long Liberty Bridge going out to the island of Venice, uh, Kathy was seated with passengers and I was holding on to, uh, to the grips above. And all of a sudden, Kathy gets my attention. She says, that lady's ready to commit suicide. And there was this lady on the edge of a, a wall that there was a 10-meter uh, uh, drop-off down to the sea below. And she was there. And when I realized the urgency, I yelled out to the bus driver to stop the bus. And evidently, bus drivers don't normally stop when somebody says they want to get off because it's more convenient for this here than the bus stop a half a mile later on. He must have seen that lady because he stopped the bus. He recognized the urgency. But before I could get off, another guy jumped off and he ran toward her and of course scared her and she jumped. But he jumped in after her. He was a little bit more informed than physically than I was. I had to go down around the long way. In the meanwhile, he was able actually to get her out of the water and have her up on the embankment. When I got there, I, I talked to her and I said, there's something really troubling you and I'd love to be able to help you if I could. She looked at me, still stunned from what had taken place. And I realized with all the people gathering around, I wasn't going to be able to speak very much to her and she wasn't all coming up. But after we went to the Filipino meeting and on our way back, I told Kathy, I said, Kathy, let's try to go by the hospital and see if we can trace this gal. And we went to the emergency room and the, a, 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 a nurse came there and sh she asked uh, what I was doing. I said, I'd like to visit a lady who tried to commit suicide at Venice today. Uh, she jumped off of an embankment and um, I'd love to go visit her, try to help her. She says, unless she asks for you, I cannot allow you to enter in. And I said, well, I'm really concerned about that. She says, you know, I'm a Buddhist, she says, and I, I, I really don't understand what you're saying. But anyway, she, I cannot allow you to go in. And I thought quickly, if I wrote a note to her, would you at least give her the note 
And she said, yeah, I'll do that. So I gave her a note. I wrote a couple things, identifying myself, my name, phone number. A week passed by, and that lady did call me. By now, she was a couple hours south of us, but I was able to get her in contact with a lady missionary who led her to the Lord. And she is a believer in Jesus Christ. She had been abused by her husband and was trying to get away from the realities of everything she had gone through. And yet God used a moment of sensitivity, reaching out to somebody that was in despair and wanted to end it all. And God did it. God puts each of us in situations daily and we need to have our spiritual antennas up and perceiving to the needs of those around about us. And those doors of opportunity, you will never know to what extent they will bring about spiritual fruit and fruit of fruit for his honor and glory. I think as we see Paul, and there are so many examples and the time has, has gotten away from us. In the city of Athens, Paul goes there and he sees a city full of idolatry. Have you ever been a place where you've seen a lot of idolatry and it torments you? I hope it does. I have a hard time even going to museums of beauty in Italy where there's a religious context because of what it represents. And you can have all the beauty you want, but if you don't have Christ and it represents a false gospel, those people can have that beauty and the architecture and everything else. But that's not going to get them into heaven. And Paul in Athens, he's provoked in his spirit, it says in Acts 17, verse 16. But he says he goes into the synagogue, he reasons in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. And then he goes in the marketplace and daily is there with those who happen (coughs) to be there. And then He's also there in the Areopagus, witnessing to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers that he encounters. And even though they call him a babbler, he's there to proclaim Jesus and the resurrection to them. And they call it strange things. And he says to them, I perceive you're a very religious people in verse 22. And he says, you know, I've, I've been passing through and cons- considering the objects of your worship and even found an altar with his inscription to the unknown God. And the one you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. It's, it's God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of the heaven and the earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with man's hands and though, as though he needed anything, since he gives life to all. And breath in all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men. dwell on, And so on and so on. And he's, verse 20, 30, he says, there have been times of ignorance but, that God overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he's appointed a day that he will judge the world in righteousness. Etc, etc. Verse 32, some mocked. Some say, we'll hear you again another day. And verse 34, some men joined him and believed. Not everybody. But some believed. What do I take from this? He was 
very disturbed by the idolatry. But he was an avid and flexible communicator regarding of the situation in the synagogue, the marketplace, the Areopagus. He was very informed on the culture at Athens, the sculptures and the poets and the altars and so forth. And he was well prepared to transition into an evangelistic presentation. What about you and me today in the context in which we live? Do we find it difficult to bring the gospel to a woke society? To be able to make God relevant to these people and to explain what he does have to do with their lives? People desperately need the Lord today. And yet with the culture in which we live, the cancel culture, we're all intimidated. That's not the way God intended it to be. He wants us to take advantage of the doors of opportunity and to be a witness for him. We see him before Felix in Acts 24. And there I will only summarize what I see in a chapter there. Paul doesn't stoop to his accusers' tactics of adulation and his false, their false accusations. He denies those accusations, but then he shares his faith with Felix and Drusilla. He doesn't neglect to evidence the importance of righteousness and self-control and judgment to the point that Felix is moved with fear about the condition of his soul before the Lord. Oh, that more people would have that response of godly fear. Unfortunately, we don't see that he made a decision for the Lord, but his life was impacted. I think of Paulo Bodrin. He was a, a man whose wife has cancer. He's heard the gospel many times. And just like Felix, he said, will you come back another convenient time? He's a, he, she's a believer. He is not. He knows the way, but it's not the convenient time for him to become a believer. Sixthly, I see Paul reaching out to Agrippa, the king, and his wife, Bernice. And there again, a couple chapters of intriguing narrative, Acts 25 and 26. And what I take from that is Paul gives his personal testimony to Agrippa and others. Paul stands before him without fear, which is beautiful. As Christians, we should not be fearful. Paul explains the radical change that took place in his life. Paul shares how he had a very bright light and heard a voice and received his call to be a minister of the gospel. He tells how he was obedient to that calling. And he mentions how Christ would suffer, die, and rise again and to, to proclaim light. And then he asks Agrippa if he believes. And Agrippa responds, I'm almost persuaded. And the discourse ends there. How many people in this life almost persuaded? Paul does not get discouraged in his testimony because of these responses that are less than enthusiastic. Felix, who is fearful, but it ends there. Agrippa almost persuaded, and it seemingly ends there. He doesn't give up. He ends up also on a ship, and because of his desire uh, to be a gospel uh, witness for the Lord, uh, he's being sent to, to Rome. I say he sees the perspective. Even though he's suffering, he's a prisoner, and it's unjustified, he realizes 
God's purpose in him being on that boat and getting over to Rome has a very, very important purpose. I think he is concerned that he's going to get there, though, because he tells the centurion, uh, hey, I think there's going to be um, much disaster. I perceive this voyage in verse 10 is going to end up with disaster and much loss, and not only the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, uh, we want to have a nice winter vacation in a place that where there's a little bit more in entertainment. I'm reading between the lines, but it's, they set sail. Have you ever had that happen? You tried to share with people, and yet extemporary situations and circumstances, they are dicta- dictating that they go ahead with their own programs, their own goals, and then they go and beat their head against the wall and have defeat. As the tempestuous headwind arose in verse 14 and verse 15, the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, so they let her drive, and they tried to undergird the ship. They tried to lighten the ship. In verse 20, I have to be brief. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. After long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me uh, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. However, however, take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Because this night there was an angel that stood by me to whom I belong and whom I serve, of of the God to whom I belong and serve saying, do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted to you all those who sail with you. So therefore, take heart, men. I believe that God will bring it, or let, that it will be just as he told me. Do you like that confidence? Do you have that confidence? Do I have that confidence that God's word will be what it is and we can really stake our lives on it and make risks knowing that he will make good on his word? And here that everything changes. The people that had the counsel and the advice before are kind of cast aside. Now Paul has earned the right to be heard and he is listened to. And at this point, he is able to encourage them. He is able to share what God said to him. He transmits that firm belief that God will keep his word just as he said. And he implores them all to take food. And he thanks the Lord in the presence of all. In verse 35. And they were all filled with their stomachs? No. It says they were all encouraged. Paul, yes, had to correct them. Why didn't you listen? 
but he doesn't stop with rebuke. And the words that he shares with them and this thanksgiving to God, even in this adverse circumstance, is the one that they found encouragement. And they took food. And you know a lot of people when they're upset, they don't feel like eating. They were so encouraged they could actually enjoy the food and were filled. 276 people on this ship. They lightened the ship. They did not recognize where they were at in the land. They let all the anchors go. Represents letting loose of everything in life. And there's only one essential. That is knowing God. And having him live within us. And having our sin issue taken away. The ship was broken up. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners. But the centurion wanted to save Paul and kept them from their purpose commanded those that could swim to jump aboard and first uh, overboard first and then get to the land and the rest on on the boards and some uh, with parts of the ship at any rate they all escaped what do i take from this paul gives good advice even though people are more persuaded by other authorities human authorities paul has the encouraging word he believes in god his words are heeded the soldiers do not escape as they were planning to they eat food they give thanks Paul earned the centurion's respect and Paul's witness to all 176 passengers was very clear. We don't have any example or a declaration of how many people came to know Jesus Christ, but we have a clear evidence here that Paul glorified God in this very dramatic situation. I'm thinking of Derek uh, Slato's big brother, Derek is also the name of his son, his oldest son, but the uh, uh, the younger son. This older brother I witnessed to since he was a a teenager, a a high teenager. And every time I would see Derek, I said, Derek, have you yet received Christ as Savior? And he said, no, not yet. And finally, I get a phone call from Derek. And Derek is tearful and very sober. And he says, Franco, I have leukemia. I'm going to die. God uses circumstances in our lives. And it's what that leukemia brought that tall gypsy man to the Lord. One who's expecting, together with his wife, their sixth child. He was broken by that. And he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. God knew that it would take a shipwreck of leukemia to bring him to his knees. But aren't you grateful for God that loves us even if he'll allow us to suffer, to arrive at what his purpose is for our life? Derek told me, when you get back, I want to be baptized. I thought, you don't have to wait till I get there. <laughs> he was pretty set on that. But I'm so grateful for God, the way he works. God is opening doors that no man can shut. Are you taking advantage of those doors? Kindness is a big key to unlocking doors in the life of others. Your kindness is going to often be what helps him to see the reality of God in your life. I'd like to quote Thomas Edison, something that will bring home a fact 
that most people miss opportunity because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Opportunities in life often mean that we have to go out of our way just like the Good Samaritan did. And we need to expend ourselves and our resources, our time and our energy, and that will make an effect on people's lives. And as we do that, doors are going to be op- open to us. Does that mean that Satan will sit back and say, bravo credente? Um, good boy, Christian? No. He's going to be putting the adversaries there. But don't be duped. Don't be distracted by the adversaries because the wide doors of opportunity are there. Take advantage of them. God wants you to reach out to this community. And each one of you has your Jerusalem and your people that you need to impact for the Lord. And it's exciting. If we all do our job, this building should be busting at the seams with people coming to know the Lord. And as we pointed out, God has built his church with the Italians and then the Filipinos and the gypsies and the Arabs, the needy, house plants down in southern Italy, seven different realities that we are rejoicing. But it's all his doings. He just wants people that are available to be spent for his honor and glory. And may he do that here at Plainfield for his honor and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what we see in your word about doors of opportunity Thank you for the faithful witness of Paul and his co-workers. And though they suffered greatly, they didn't let the suffering become a barrier, obstacle to what you could accomplish through their lives and their witness and testimony. And churches were established even in that context. And we think of Paul even in prison as he's writing letters to the churches, as he's praying, as he's evangelizing people in the prisons. There was no dull moment. There was no dead time in his life. It was all productive for the kingdom of God. Help us, by your grace, to not let doors of opportunity pass by, but that you will use us as your humble servants to accomplish that which you desire. In Jesus' name, amen.